You're listening to That Moment When. Stories of specific and honest relational touch points that change a person's life. Brought to you by the Christian Standard Bible and CSB Podcast Network. My name is Richard Clark. Barnabas Piper is a husband and a father, an assistant pastor for Emmanuel Church of Nashville. He's written a number of books, including Hoping for Happiness, Help My Unbelief, and The Pastor's Kid. But even growing up as a pastor's kid, Barnabas knew that being immersed in doctrine just wasn't enough. For him, it would take a clearer picture of sin's presence in his life. In this episode, he explains how a little white lie turned into a moment that would change everything. So the entirety of my life from birth to age 30, my dad was the senior pastor at at Bethlehem. It just felt normal in a lot of ways. It was my environment. It was kind of the the water in which I swam, very formative in really good ways and uh, and some challenging ones as well. But my parents were very present, very consistent, very available. Steady is the the easiest way. If I was going to put it into one word, they were just steady. I just, I never worried about anything growing up in terms of the littlest things like food on the table or like, did my parents love me? It never crossed my mind to wonder. I think that where there were tensions, I, I probably could only put my finger on this later in life, was the trying to separate my dad as pastor from my dad as dad and wishing for more of the kind of dad investment, kind of just the normal dad interactions and less of the kind of pastoral biblical interactions. But yeah, there's still just sort of the itch for like, more normal stuff, less like family devotions, um, those kind of things. Everything involved scripture all the time, which I'm sure to some people sounds wonderful, but like when you get caught lying and then you have to like read a Puritan and just discuss, you know, not bearing false witness, it gets really tiresome, or at least it did to me. I accepted Jesus young, six or seven years old, I don't remember exactly which, uh, in my dad's office, you know, so went in, had a conversation with him, prayed with him, and I don't know if that was the moment at which, you know, I was saved, but that was the moment at which, it, it was like, that was the point that we always look back on and say, you gave your life to Christ, so now you, like, now you are a Christian, you live as such, you believe as such. You know, being being a pastor's kid and specifically being the son of a dad like my dad, who is so just he's so theologically thoughtful and precise and biblically oriented, all of which are good things. But when you're 10 years old and you can argue the five points of Calvinism, that can actually be a hindrance to like genuine repentance because you can you can mistake theological knowledge and being smarter than your peers or at least smarter in that area of life for spiritual maturity and spiritual humility 
you know, knowledge puffs up. And that's certainly true for young Christians. So ironically, I think my knowledge of the Bible and all that came from being a pastor's kid, my involvement in the church, so these these outwardly really good upstanding things were a real hindrance to even being aware that I didn't know Jesus. And it wasn't until all the hypocrisy in my life kind of boiled over that I realized what I claim to believe and what drives me in life are not the same thing. You know, every kid knows the story of the little white lie that becomes the monster that kind of takes over. That was essentially my story, just these little dishonesties to to try to get ahead in work, to try to give people a better impression of who I was, just for kind of selfish personal gain that then snowballed into a habit of dishonesty that carried over into my work in my mid-20s. To clarify, I wasn't like an unplugged Christian in the sense of I've never not been part of a church. Like at no point in my life have I walked away from the church. One of my biggest weaknesses, probably still today, but definitely at that point, is the desire to kind of cherry pick what I learn instead of being taught. I'm not, I don't lean teachable. I don't, you know, it's just not my, it's not my bent. I didn't have it in me at that point to humble myself and, you know, take mentorship. And so at that point, I was reading books that I wanted to read and I could just assiduously avoid anything that would poke at the parts of my conscience that I knew were wrong. I wasn't callously going about things. I was, you know, I was just sort of building a wall around an area of my soul and my life that couldn't be touched because I knew it shouldn't be there and it was wrong. Yeah, I just I just didn't submit to anybody. I. I read what I wanted to read. I listened to who I wanted to listen to. I was really confident that I could, you know, talk myself in and out of any situation. And it kind of was, it was like the, the ugly outgrowth of being overly theologically developed and under kind of spiritually developed as a kid. So for me, it looked like getting called into a boardroom at a company I worked at at, you know, like mid-morning on a weekday and having evidence laid out on the table in front of me of how I had been mishandling company assets and finances for months and months and saying, we're going to have to let you go. Just dishonesty financially. So fudging records, using company resources for personal gain, those kinds of things, both to give me a better reputation and to earn some, you know, earn some money off the books. You know, we're not talking hundreds of thousands of dollars or anything like that, but for for somebody who was mid-20s at the time and trying to get established in the career and pay bills and stuff, it was it made life more comfortable financially. My wife thought you know, she didn't think anything of it. She didn't know. So was under the impression that we were kind of better off than we were. And then I, you know, so I'm forced to tell her kind of on the spot and 
that's what kicked it off. That was the the boiling over moment. Sin really does take something that's true and make it look false and take something that's false and make it look appealing. And in this case, the the financial gain was more valuable than honesty. It was more valuable than being a person of character. And once I was into it, the thought of backing out had consequences. And so I trapped myself into it. I was, I was so addicted to the financial gain that I couldn't stop. And I was so trapped in the pattern of dishonesty that I couldn't admit it. I mean, I, I, I wrestled with myself. I remember going, I, I need to tell somebody and then they'll make me stop. And then I thought, I can't tell somebody, they'll make me stop. You know, and I'll probably get fired and so forth. And there's also a hubris in sin where even while I'm thinking those things, there's a simultaneous sort of flow of thought that's going, nobody's gonna find out, you're smart. And even in looking back at, at, at what I did, I'm like, of course I was gonna get caught. Everybody gets caught. You can get away with taking erasers from the office. You can't get away with money. Like people track that. That stuff gets audited. I was an idiot. And then there's all the mess to clean up and the sorting out of things and the coming to terms with who who I am versus who I positioned myself as. And you know, the the broken relationships because of broken trust, not to mention just the, the circumstantial difficulties of, you know, I was supporting a family of um, four at that point and um, had, had no job. The role my dad played usually came during cleanup. You know, because it, at various different points in my life, I would get to a place where like, well, I made a disaster out of things. And so now cleanup needs to happen. And this was this was probably the most egregious or definitely the most egregious of those. I remember, I think I, I, I got on the phone and told him and I think I was just really coldly analytical about it and not, you know, aggressively like shut him down cold, but just like I didn't call him crying. I just was, dad, this happened. And I think I was at a place then where I, st- I couldn't even tell him the full truth about it. It was mostly just sort of a vague overview of got fired for some things that I did kind of thing and, and just left it at that. But over the course of the following months, like he's, he's the type of dad who says, okay, well, I'm coming down. If I found myself in a tight spot or if... if any major life moment, positive or negative, my parents are the kind of parents who will say, okay, we'll come to where you are. Like, you're our child. We're not going to abandon you to this thing. We're going to come to where you are. And whether it's sitting with you and praying or watching your kids or whatever it is, we're going to be there for you. And I didn't, I didn't want him to come. I didn't want to have those conversations. I didn't want to look him in the eye. Uh, I was very ashamed of myself and probably very afraid he would be ashamed of me. And again, it didn't mean much to me at the time because I was pretty caught up in my own self-made mess. In retrospect, I look at it and go, what that did was alleviate an entire potential set of fears that 
you know, my family's going to cut me off. They just made it very obvious that it had never crossed their minds. And just thinking about how isolating sin is as well. Because when you start cutting off parts of your your life, parts of honesty, parts of all the people I was supposed to be closest to, I had to withhold things from. You know, which means that every interaction is a careful doling out of, of information, of self, of whatever, to protect something that ought not to have been protected. Self-protection was my highest value, not not freedom and honesty and being upright in, in Christ. And so, I mean, it was one of those things that because I don't have a, a teachable spirit, you know, by instinct, I tend to learn things by failure. And so this is one that I think God finally was like, look, I've been trying to teach you and you're not listening. So now you fail. And now you can't forget. And he just never let me go. I mean, the fact that my conscience wasn't dead at any point there, and the fact that I didn't go more off the rails than I did, you know? God kept me from leaving more damage than I did. That was his mercy. I'm sure I, I had the capacity to do far worse. But even even that instinct of, I, I ought to, I ought to talk to somebody about this and figure out how to pull out of this. That's the Holy Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit saying, I'm not done with you yet and you can't keep doing this. And at some point, my stubbornness and refusal to listen led God to say, fine, have it your way, which is not what you ever want to hear from God. And there was a very genuine period, not not a defined period of time, but I just remember these moments of saying, I could walk away from all this because all the mess that I had created, I didn't, I didn't need to stay and work on the relationships that were broken. I didn't need to stay in the church and sit down with elders who were trying to walk me towards a path of, of restoration. I didn't have to face any of the hard things except for the financial cost. I couldn't really escape that. But I, I didn't have to tell the truth on my resume. I could have just doubled down, walked away and said, none of this and none of this matters to me. And I strongly considered it. Like I thought through kind of the pros and cons, but that's another instance where God just wasn't having it. I think one of the things that I've learned through that, that really awful restoration process, and then in the years of, of just God's faithfulness and helping me grow spiritually since, is that my parents gave me an enormous amount of raw spiritual material that God has, has been able to work with. I didn't know what to do with it. I didn't appreciate it. And sometimes I downright hated it, but you, you can't, you can't unlearn hundreds of Bible verses. You can't unlearn a steady diet of this is who Jesus Christ is. You can ignore it. You can deny it, but you can't unlearn it. And they planted a lot of seeds that God decided to bring growth from right around that period of time that that just lay dormant for a long time. But there's no denying that God used those things 
to kind of wall me in with truth when I was on the brink of, of walking away. And he just made it real clear to me, that's the path that leads to destruction. It wasn't the kind of thing that was like, I'm on the brink of this as much as it was, that's a real genuine option. And I'll die if I do that. Like my soul will die if I, if I take that route. Like I've already been starving my soul. I've already been choking off the life that God is trying to give me. And if I do that, I'm done. And that meant turning around and walking back into the, the mess that I had made of things. And, and then the very personal difficult uh, side of things of, of learning what does it mean to follow Jesus for real? Because I didn't really know. I knew by action, but I didn't know by identity and by soul. Learning humility and restoration and repentance and trying to regain trust and Repentance sucks. To, to realize, you know, just the, the depths of the mess in your own soul is miserable. Especially when you have walled that part of your life off. And so, like, that stink has gotten oppressive. If you've made a practice of repenting, your life just doesn't stink that bad. Sins are sins, but like you clean them out all the time. If you let them sit and fester, it's foul. And like I had years of that. So that's that's a process of restoration that's just disgusting and really unpleasant. And that was kind of the end of that. At no point in my life since then have I been inclined to walk away. I came right to the edge, looked into a clear picture of, of a destroyed life and thought, I can't do that. That's not what God has for me. That Moment When is hosted by Richard Clark, produced by Nick Thompson, edited by Kaylin Richardson, brought to you by the Christian Standard Bible and CSB Podcast Network. For more information, go to csbpodcastnetwork.com.